0: In pursuing the question of the enforcer, you're pursuing the question of what it is to be human. What does the enforcer call on? Profound loyalty. Loyalty so deep that he's willing to risk his own structure, his own body, his own bones, his own teeth, his own brain, on behalf of protecting people he deeply loves. The enforcer is the most ethical and moral member of the tribe. Because he is willing to undergo such incredible sacrifice. That's looking at it from the inside of the group. Looking at it from the outside of the group, the enforcer is the ultimate enemy, the super bad guy, and must be eliminated. But that's because you and I are looking at it from the point of view of another group. If we were looking at it from within the group that the enforcer defends, we would love the enforcer because the enforcer loves every single one of us so much. He is willing to give his life for us.
1: Hi, this is Victoria DeMar, star of Werewolf and a Woman's Prison, and Killjoy goes to hell. You're listening to the Casey Purchase Show.
2: I check my phone, I straighten my tie. Who is that looking back at me, looking so fly? I'm like, damn, oh, that's me in the mirror. I blow myself up, kiss, it's getting hotter.
3: Let's drop the top on the bands Roll around the block, cranking up the weekend I see one in a Hummer and one in a Rover They're looking straight at me like Then
2: out comes secrets, warning his keys Yelling, Cut to shit, kid, I got somewhere to be I'm like, damn, oh, there goes the ladies They dreamin' on my day job and it's not my Mercedes One day I'm gonna live
4: Rockin' and rollin', struttin' and strollin', rammin' and jammin'. You are listening to The Casey Ferguson Show. Yes, it's Casey Ferguson here, the Marty McSorley of the podcast world, set to deliver another oral assault likely to land us all in the sin bin. Speaking of palaces for pugilists and other pugnacious prize, I'm coming at you once again from Motel Ferguson, my den of stiff libations and good vibrations in picturesque Kingston, Ontario. You lie like a fly with a booger in its eye. <laughs> the fly was funny, and the booger was the icing on the cake. <laughs> well, as long as the picture is of drug addicts and poverty, it's picturesque. So technically, I didn't lie to you. This town sucks. Nonetheless, I have a Pulverizing program for you here on episode 42. Wilson was first to the punch there, kicking off the show with Like a Baller. And Rapscallion's Scallion's The Hits are gonna keep on coming. Michael Beinhorn, the illustrious producer behind platinum albums such as Soundgarden's Super Unknown, Marilyn Manson's Mechanical Animals and Whole Celebrity Skin is on the program. Jason Smith, longest-serving captain in the history of the NHL's Edmonton Oilers, and the current head coach of the WHL's Kelowna Rockets, is on the program. Plus, music from Eric Johnson, Cabo, Dantina Duo, and Sue Foley, among others. So put up your dukes. Here comes the nukes. This is Animal Drive on the Casey Ferguson Show. to the Casey Ferguson Show. Wonder and bringing the thunder you were listening to the Casey Ferguson show.
2: I'm here for my mammogram. It's not the most pleasant procedure, but at my age it's Nice to get them handled once in a
4: while. From the album Electrified, that was Blackwater Rising, Payback. Before that, you heard from Scarlet Riot with Warrior, and kicking off that trifecta of tasty tunage all the way from Croatia was Animal Drive, Tower of Lies. Well, well, Kat, summer doesn't officially end until September 22nd, but for most people I know, once school's back in, that's pretty much it for the season. So, I hope you had a great summer and were able to beat the heat. I know there were certainly a few days here at Motel Ferguson that it was too hot to air drum, and that's pretty fucking hot. Look, I'm pretty enthusiastic about the air, drums near air guitar and the like but god damn it it got so fucking muggy around here i just said fuck it i'll just sit still and listen so as not to have a fucking stroke <laughs> safety first and whatnot Joining me here on the Casey Ferguson Show for the first time in a while is Siri's Cousin Mary. Mary, how did you beat the heat this summer? Usually, I would drink pina coladas until I passed out and peed my britches. Sounds refreshing. Well, Mary, I was just talking about playing air drums. Do you play any air instruments? Perhaps the air kazoo? I
1: don't play the air kazoo, but I'll bet you play the skin flute for real. I do karaoke.
4: Well, karaoke isn't quite the same thing. Though, sometimes you can't really call it singing either, I guess. Ah.
2: I'm not gonna feel it.
4: you feel like serenading me today, Mary? No, but I feel like punching you in the pee hole with a spork. Fair enough. Well, sing a little something for the listeners, then. What's one of your favorite songs to sing? Celebrity Skin by Hole makes my tits hard. Why's that? Because I'm a celebrity and you are a mouth-breathing mongoloid. Okay, then. Performing a little bit of Celebrity Skin by Hole, this is Cousin Mary. Take it away, Mary.
1: Oh, make me over. I'm all I
2: want to be, the walking study, endemonology, hey, so glad
1: you could make it, yeah, now you really made it, poof,
4: so glad you could make it, now. Well, that was beautiful, Miri. I'm sure Michael Beinhorn, who produced that album, will be very impressed with your rendition. I will have the first part of my interview with Michael coming up shortly. Here's some more music. This is The Treatment on the Casey Ferguson Show. On the microphone, Taryn, you are listening to the Casey Ferguson Show.
5: You ever have one of those headaches where all you wanted to do was shove your fist up your nose and pull your sinuses right through your head?
4: From the brand new record, Diamond Boy, that was Enough's Enough with Metal Metalheart, and before that, you heard from the treatment with Better Think Again.
6: Oh, really? Then where did this tasty lick come from?
4: My first guest on this episode of The Casey Ferguson Show is renowned producer Michael Beinhorn. Michael has produced everyone from Soundgarden and the Red Hot Chili Peppers to Aerosmith, Ozzy Osbourne, Hole, Marilyn Manson, Soul Asylum, and Social Distortion. He is also the author of Unlocking Creativity, A Producer's Guide to Making Music and Art. Now, you'll hear in the opening of this interview that I make reference to my computer acting up. Not that you likely give a shit about my tech woes, but I figured some of you might wonder what the fuck I was talking about. For all three of you that have to know such things, I was away from my computer for a few minutes and the fucking thing decided to do an update so i sat down a few minutes before i was set to talk with michael and i can't use the fucker oh fuck sticks my notes are on the computer and while i don't need notes to do a fucking interview they're nice to have so i called michael and filled him in told him i'd call him back in a couple of minutes when my computer was done with its fucking bullshit and we had a great conversation so that's why i'm griping at the start of the interview
2: It's the coolest fucking story i've ever heard in my entire life that's insane it,
4: can I hear it again? Do you have time? Anyhow, this is the first part of my interview with Michael Beinhorn on the Casey Ferguson Show. All right, this is Casey Ferguson, and you are listening to the Casey Ferguson Show. Renowned producer, Michael Beinhorn, is on the phone. Michael, how goes it, mister? <laughs> I'm hanging on in there. How are you? Oh, geez, Well, now that my computer's working all right, it's uh, <laughs> everything is lovely here at Motel Ferguson. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's awesome. It's my den of stiff libations and good vibrations. <laughs> okay, man. <laughs> How's the weather out there in California? It's
1: just it's hot. It's I actually you know what? It's, it's not as bad as it's been as it was like the past few weeks. It's it's cooling off. It's a mere eighty eight degrees.
4: Oh, is that all? <laughs> is that it? Come on now! I'm from Canada.
1: And right now, I'm jealous. We, last week, it was it was 99, and I'm not even in the hot, hottest part of Los Angeles. Um, <laughs> oh man! I, I This is it, it's the kind of weather where you walk you walk out of your car, you take a few steps, and all of a sudden, you wonder why you're woozy, and you need to grab hold of something to stand off.
2: Sure thing, giant beer.
1: Yeah, it, it's super hot. Actually, last month I went someplace, and it was 120 degrees.
4: Jesus Christ.
1: Yeah, that was the day actually that I took a few, uh, I walked a few steps and I, actually the question is more like, what am I doing this for? Why
4: am I out and why am I walking? Uh, Where'd you go? Mordor? Like what?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Actually an electronic supply store, is a whole different story.
4: Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. oh, Jesus! Yeah. Anyhow, uh, you know, I got thinking about this, Michael. You know, when we uh, we got the interview set up, I, you know, just the fact that you were a visual artist before. Are you one of those guys that often hear things in terms of color? No, I don't. I, I know people who do, or at least who claim they do. <laughs>
1: um, well, I'll, I'll take their word for it. But like,
4: well, some people are just I full do, of shit.
1: Yeah, well, um. In a word,
7: yes. Uh, <laughs> but, but no, no, actually, I, I do get a mental picture of, of
1: sounds, though. It's kind of hard to describe, but it's more of like black and white and gradations of like textures
7: and stuff like that. I, I'm
1: not sure how you would call it exactly. I don't think it's a synesthetic type experience the same way someone who sees colors and sounds. It's a, I don't know. This is something different, I think, but yeah, I I, I, I guess it's similar in some way, but I, I actually do work off that to some extent when I'm honing an instrument
4: set. Right, yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely a thought process there, and I I think there are similarities, but I suppose the process really is just trying to keep that initial vision alive, right? Yes and
1: no. To me, I, I always find that whatever vision I might have for a recording project or sound or whatnot, there's a certain amount of staying in sync with it, and there's a certain amount of being able to turn on a dime real fast when another variable comes into play that completely upends it or even gives it a a slight nudge in another direction. You know, I find that I I have a set idea or a set vision in mind, but, you know, I, I think that if you become too enamored of it, like, I find that I just, I have to know when it's important to stick with that and to adhere to it. And when to just kind of let it go and allow something else to
4: come in. Right. Well, was just basically rolling with the punches, sort of thing, right? <laughs> I could
1: have summed it up real fast and put it like that, but like I mean, obviously so you
4: did a you did a much better job than me. Well, that's got to be a first. I. It's uh, <laughs> probably the first time I've done a better job at anything. Than anyone, but <laughs> okay. but I'm happy. I'm happy it's happening now, Michael. I'm happy it's happening now. Well, you're,
1: you're, you are dealing with a sleep-deprived man here, so
4: so you know I should I shouldn't uh, I shouldn't let my head swell too much, is what you're telling me. Well, no, I wasn't. <laughs> like that, so. No, I'm just I'm just busting your balls. <laughs> I know. I, I understand, it, and and you should <laughs> as much as possible. Oh, absolutely. Well, life's nothing but a laugh, right?
7: That's true. That's
4: true, absolutely. Uh, Michael, I, I wanted to ask you about I know that you collaborated very early on with Brian Eno and I mean what what do you take away from working with a guy like that? <laughs> interesting
1: experience because like I had begun a lot of what I was doing I mean moving away you know from being mainly a visual artist and getting into electronics and synth and stuff like that because of listening to his records like you know I mean the first record of his i bought was called here come the warm jets which is his first solo record i I was like 13 and i put the thing on and it just absolutely warped me for good (laughs) you know and so here here i am you know working with these with these guys and material and the rhythm section wound up working with Eno after uh this guy bill Laszlo, who was the bassist was our bassist had been lobbying Eno to, you know to do something with him for a very long time like he just kept on him and you know finally they got into this thing where they were they were working together i wasn't involved so i was kind of like hmm. you know because <laughs> i've been so into this guy's music for so long and he influenced me and, Basically, I turned a lot of the other guys in the band onto his music. And they came, they actually came to our studio to work. And after a few days, Eno actually comes up to this room where I'm sitting, you know, working on a painting. And he's like, would you want, like to come down and join us? And I mean, you can imagine, I was like all oh, 21 years old. Oh man. it just totally did my head and I was like, oh my god,
2: this is the happiest day of my life.
1: <laughs> um, and it was really interesting working with him because, well, I, you know, once I got past the whole, the mystique, you know, the, the fact that I was working with someone who had I'd idolized for so long. I really began to, you know, to see his character. That part of it was very interesting. And, you know, I realized that so much of what he did was still, no matter how he loves the idea of process and, you know, and working based on systems and things like that, a lot of it was very intuitive, you know, which I can, I can really relate to. And, um, I think just being in the presence of someone like that, was, you know, that, that in itself was incredibly inspiring, and it was and, and very life-changing. And Actually, he was going through kind of a rough time while we were working together. I think he kind of lost his way a little bit, and
7: we stopped
1: after a while, and he took the stuff that we'd been working on, he went off with it. And about a year later, he released a record called On Land, which was the uh, fourth record in his Ambient series. And I remember listening to it going like, holy crap. I mean, he obviously, he righted himself. Like, he'd managed to Himself back on a track, and it was amazing because there was a real a real vibe to it that you know it seemed like everything was so scattered while we were making it,
4: and he managed to pull it together somehow. And it was really impressive that he was able to do that. Well, it's got to be a bit strange for you too, right? Where you're going, like you know, you idolize this guy to some degree, and and you're seeing him struggle <laughs> a little bit, but at the same time, like you're saying, you're seeing that he's just like everybody else, and it's a process, and he's got to struggle as well. It's an incredible experience, and it really. Took long time to be able to understand
1: that you wind up having idols and people whose work you put on a pedestal and really envision as I guess it's almost it's iconic to you in a sense like you just you almost deify it basically like it's almost like God has come down from the heavens you know which I mean to to a certain extent it is like that because the end result moves you and takes you to a place that human beings aren't always able to go to on
4: their own. Absolutely. I've often said, Michael, that, you know, I'm not a religious guy, so with a great piece of music, it's the closest I've ever felt to God. It's the
1: truth. Oh, it's absolutely the truth. There's no question about it. And that's really part of what I think is what music and the arts are are designed to do. But, like, when you see that someone who has done all these things, that is taking you to places like that, is actually as much of a human being as you are, that they have issues. That they have moments where they where they get lost, you know, where they question themselves, where they feel like they're failing. It's really so. Actually, you know, it it really kind of it takes you to a deeper understanding. Like I think when I was younger, to me that that sort of that felt for a moment like weakness, and then I was like, wait a second, this is incredible. I mean, this person is this is like this is the human condition right here. It's absolutely amazing. I mean, what this man had to go through, and he came out the other end of it, and he created this this record. like wow that's, that's pretty formidable and he obviously hasn't ever stopped from there you know i mean to, to see that is like it's very life-affirming and it reminds it reminds you also that anyone who has the drive and talent doesn't hurt either to be able to do this kind of stuff can really can do extraordinary things you know and fail extraordinarily as well and that failure is actually one of the most important aspects of being creative. You know, not succeeding—at least in the terms that you consider success to be—that's important. It's important to have that experience and to, you
7: know, to experience the,
4: the ego-crushing part of that as well. Yeah, I would agree. I, I think that's when you build that character and really find out what you're made of, right? Yeah, and you also recognize what are missteps or what may have felt
1: like missteps that are actually things that you really need to work on more and and improve. You just, it, it, it helps you understand your process better and it helps you, it broadens your experience of life as well. Life can't be a nonstop series of success after success going from strength to strength. That's not the way it works. You know, and you
7: can't know what your idea of success is without having
4: failed. That's a good point, too. And I, I definitely want to later on get to what you're doing these days. You're helping musicians out a lot with pre-production and, and things like that. Of course, I want to touch on the book as yeah. well. There's so much I want to talk to you about, man. You've done so many great <laughs> records that I love that are very dear to my heart, so I guess I'm going to have to paint with broad strokes a little bit here, but you know, hopefully we get a chance to speak again down the road and we can get into the, the finer points of things, but I have to to bring up Rocket, of course, working with Herbie Hancock and what that song went on to do. And just (laughs) the video became iconic as well, which you didn't like initially, right? Really funny. What I mean, like when we made the
1: song, and I guess this still this still probably happens with people today when they're working on music. I really had the song really came from such a conceptual place to begin with, as
7: did the whole record. And I had it had this vision in my head of what it, what it represented
1: and what it meant. And when I saw that video, I mean, to me, this was like, well, I mean. <laughs> Most of the people who worked on it weren't, you know, a bunch of guys who'd been involved and, in like, you know, heavily involved in R&B and, you know, were black or anything like that. Like, they are just two white guys <laughs> working with, with Herbie. But to me, I saw it as an expression of, of, of black culture and of the marriage of jazz rock with hip hop and that to me there was there was a, deep, a deeper kind of uh, something very very powerful something very emotionally powerful and you know something of great significance and great like it, it was very I wouldn't say somber but it was like deep real deep you know and all of a sudden this video comes up that's made by these quirky English guys and it's got these like goofy dancing like
4: robots and you know there's a and toothpaste shooting all over the place, and Herbie is reduced to like this, like this guy in a TV set, and, and I was like enraged. <laughs> you know? You're like fucking robots, really? <laughs> well, I was like, this, this is supposed to be deep. This is a real statement here, and these English
1: guys come along and just completely, you know, like. <laughs> You know, but of course, as, as the cases, you know, if the, the thing takes off, then all of a sudden you're like,
4: well,
1: maybe that video isn't so bad after all.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, I can just see you sitting there going, like, what the fuck's next? Ninjas? Like, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I I think I was just so self-righteous about the whole thing, you know. And of course, I was like a little kid, so you know, you're pompous and working with
1: like the, this legendary keyboard genius, and you you've come up with this fantastic piece of music, which, by the way, no one in it at its inception imagined would have the kind of effect it And you know, you see someone come in with their vision of it that is about 180 pretty diametrically opposed from what your idea was, you know? I mean, in my case, I was, like, pissed, but then all of a sudden, the thing started to be successful, and I was like, oh, that's okay.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's often the case, right? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't
1: always work like that, but in this case, it was, you know, and I mean, in hindsight, I had to be pragmatic about it. Like, whether I liked that video or not, it's one of the primary reasons that people got to encounter the song in the first place. I mean, I I am sure that if someone had come up with a video that was even remotely close to what my vision of the song might have been, and that wasn't going to happen anyway, but if they'd done that, I don't think anyone would have
7: cared (laughs) 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 about it at
1: all. You know, so that that video really helped helped move it along, and I I actually ran into one of the guys who directed it, Kevin Godley from NCC, and I just... I said thank you so much.
7: It's <laughs> a far cry from how I felt initially, but you know the video is it, fantastic.
1: You know, it, it really is, and I, I did come to appreciate it after a while. And it added, it, it, it added in, uh, something that that I didn't see in the song, but could be obviously interpreted. It's almost like a slapstick element to it.
4: <laughs> you know it' just kind of it, it, it's kind of amusing but it helped bring the song to prominence so i'm i'm eternally grateful they' mate Michael um you've worked with several artists that were certainly high-profile, but something that sort of occurred to me the other night, you know, some of these guys, as high-profile as they were, or even girls in some cases, they could be considered pretty divisive or polarizing. I mean, you know, Marilyn Manson and Ozzy, and to a lesser extent, you know, Hole, the Chili Peppers. Was that danger part of what attracted you to these projects, or was it something different with each of them? (laughs) Well, that's funny, because, I mean, with the Chili
1: Peppers, that was kind of like... (laughs) When I got that record, that was the only record I'd been trying to get work for a very long time at that point, And I think that, that that was the only project that anyone like seriously offered. <laughs> and I think, and it was offered to me specifically because their record company at the time, EMI, thought that they were so hopeless and unproducible and unmarketable. <laughs> Any possible sense that, oh, let's just throw this guy a bone or something like that.
4: <laughs> Instead of dropping them, right? <laughs> makes sense to me i mean creative people obviously you know are notorious for you know their demons and uh i think there's an inherent part of being an artist where you know you're you're forced to look at yourself in a, in a different light than most people right and that struggle with yourself is part of what makes the art so great
1: there's a lot of self-analysis and who are willing to take the dive within are the ones who ultimately come up with the greatest stuff or the people who who are interested in analyzing their process the process of how they get to their expressive place like how they're expressing themselves for some people at any rate it does require a lot of soul searching a lot of introspection to me anyone who does that and is interested in, in, in is an artist again is going to find great Things to work with because that's an
4: unending treasure trove of riches and uh, for the creative. No. Well, I, I mean, speaking of the the Chili Peppers, you know, you you were the one who encouraged them to explore their melodic side more, and I mean, that really became the basis of what propelled them to them later on. And you know, by all accounts, they were pretty. Resistant to it initially, so, you know, and to be honest, I mean, I'm gonna go on record here and say that had they not listened to you, I don't know that we'd be hearing them today, you know, so, did they seem aware of the breakthrough that they made at the time?
7: Well, if you're talking
4: about Mother's Milk,
1: which is what I assume you're referring to, because that was definitely a very decided shift toward melody,
7: mm-hmm. my impression was that by the time the record was done, they weren't very pleased with it, and
1: I think it was a lot of it had to do with the fact that well honestly, I mean, most of the guys in the band weren't really around for most of for much of the recording. So they kind of left it to me and to a certain extent to John Freshanti who because he had to go in and do his guitar parts and that's really that that took up a lot of a lot of time. But I think that the way that the record was done wasn't to their liking so I think in the end they weren't that pleased but, but the thing is is that they had they'd already kind of begun this, their march down this path because having John in the band completely altered the DNA of what the band actually was like one thing I, I, I noticed about this band was that whoever like it
4: Yeah, it's like hieroglyphics to most guys, yeah. record that you worked on that as i understand it was a bit of a difficult process and i'm not gonna go down the road you know i've I've watched several interviews with you and everybody focuses on you know the stuff that happened with hole i'm not here to dig for dirt i don't give a shit if people want the tabloid stuff they can oh, go dude, listen to I don't care. You know, some other I, show but I, whatever you want to ask is fine <laughs> well i you know and i appreciate you being such an open book man you know uh a, a lot of people do come on and they you know they have their things they kind of want to discuss don't want to discuss and I'm happy to talk to anybody about anything but I just you know I yeah, I don't, you know, feel the need to focus on the, the negative aspects of that record. I mean, there's, I, I really love the album and the title track. I love that guitar sound on that main riff, and I, I was wondering, like, you know, what's going on there? Like, is there is there something you added? Because there's just that, that, like, metallic kind of buzzsaw quality there that I'm just like, God damn, that's a great guitar sound, you know? Casey,
7: there's always something
1: I added.
4: <laughs> <laughs> um Well, it's funny that you should mention
1: that sound in particular because one of the highlights of that record is the fact that I went crazy trying to get guitar (laughs) sounds on it because I, I don't know, I mean, I just, I was getting tired of just, using the sort of stock amps that everyone else is using to make their grungy 90s rock records with blah, 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 you know. And I really enjoy using unorthodox treatments to get sounds and just trying to find different... You know, different ways to kind of to, to go down, That gets the same road that people go down over and over again because inevitably the guitar is going to be used to play all the harmonic stuff in the middle range. The vocal's going to be singing above it, maybe a little below it. The drums are going doo 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 you know, whatever. But, you know, how can we use this instrumentation sonically in a way to create something perhaps no one's heard before? And I just got it really into synthesizers on that record. And one of the things... That I was doing, especially with the guitars on that track, was that I was I was doing a split um, three ways. I was going into a splitter device, and I had to search very, very hard to find one that didn't load down badly because I don't. You, you said that you do some production.
4: Yeah, I do the um, production for the show, and I mean I'm I'm a musician as well. Well, with guitar,
1: what happens? Is I, I hope this isn't one. Um, <laughs> Um, well, tell, tell me if it's if it's boring to, to mention
4: technical details. Oh no! I mean, I'm sure there's there's a bunch of uh, aspiring producers and musicians and whatnot listening out there. You know, if this borrows borrows eh, easy for me to say. If this borrows anybody, don't worry, it'll all be over soon. <laughs> go go ahead, oh. mate. No, um, when, when you split a guitar, that is to take one
1: signal and divide it into two or more signals that are of equi- equivalent gain. What happens a lot of times is, is that signal will feed back into itself, and that'll load down the other signals coming out. Which means that you've actually got a very suppressed signal that's coming out of your splitter device. You have to find something where there's actually some kind of resistor. Oh crap! I can't remember what <laughs> the resistor's supposed to be at now. But it's supposed to be something that won't load the signal down. So that you can, basically, you're going to have apples to apples with your input signal versus the signal that's coming out of your splitter box, if that makes sense. Okay. Um, You know, so any any of the three outputs or three or more outputs that you're two or more outputs that you're using on your splitter box, you want the level to be equivalent to the one coming in. At any rate, it took a while to find something that could do that. But what I did was I split first into, I found this, an amp called a Watkins Dominator, which is extremely old. Beautiful, by the way. Look, look this thing up. It's teeny. It's like, a, it's got a wedge front on it. And this one was beat to shit. But someone had, the guy who owned it had taken the original speakers out and put like Marshall 30 watts
7: in it or something. And it just sounded amazing. And I actually missed the opportunity to buy this
1: amp and it resurfaced about two years ago, and I was like, fuck it, I'm getting
4: that. <laughs> <laughs> boy. <laughs> it said, and it still sounds as good as it sounds, when we recorded that. So
1: one tap was going into there, another tap, was going into a sand jam.
4: <laughs> oh wow, the old Tech Twenty One.
1: Yep, that's right. And the last one was going into a Surge modular synthesizer, which was heavily, heavily distorted. It's—I uh, I won't go into the modules that I was using because that's, you know, that's for people who use searches, I think. But <laughs> um, yeah, I, I went crazy on that record processing guitar, just to kind of give them a little something extra than what one would have gotten if they used, like, a normal, you know, a Marshall or AC-30 or something like
4: that. You can't argue with the results.
1: Yeah, well, thank you. I,
8: you know,
4: (laughs) there you go. Part talk show, part rock show, you are listening to the Casey Ferguson Show.
8: Haven't I heard of you... You're
4: not a cop, are you? That was the first part of my interview with music producer Michael Beinhorn. I will have more from that interview on a future episode of the Casey Ferguson Show. Alright, look, I know a bunch of musicians are listening, so pay attention. Michael is offering a number of pre-production services to help bands and artists out that are on a small budget, including song analysis and repair. He'll work with you one-on-one via Skype or email to help bring your project to completion. Yes, you heard me right. The very same producer behind Massive Records from Soundgarden, Marilyn Manson, and Hole is offering to help you.
8: Holy birthday cake! So
4: if you Really serious about making the best record you can? You should at least look into this. You'll find more info on his website, michaelbeinhorn.com. Get it? Got it? Good. Back to the music. This is Joe Bonamassa, Blues of Desperation, on The Casey Ferguson Show.
2: Now I live live with bruising desperation
8: Parking lot. Put up big hotels, boutiques, and swinging hot spots. Don't it always seem to go? You don't know what you've got till it's gone. Paved paradise with a parking lot. Put away your DDT now. Leave the spots on my apples. But give me the birds and the bees. Don't it always seem to go? You don't know what you've got till it's gone. Paved paradise with a parking lot. Paved paradise. Put up a parking lot It's gone
4: Too hot to handle and too cold to hold. You are listening to the Casey Ferguson Show. Oh,
2: this is most distressing.
4: Brand new music from Les Stroud, aka Survivor Man, there, with his rendition of Joni Mitchell's Big Yellow Taxi, Sue Foley and Billy F. Gibbons before that with Fool's Gold, and at the top of the set was Joe Bonamassa with Blues of Desperation. Speaking of desperation, dig on this story I came across on August 20th via the score. The headline reads Man has Finger Bitten Off During Brawl at Golf Course. <laughs> A violent brawl broke out at a golf course in Plymouth, Mass on Friday, leading to one man having his finger bitten off. Oh, shit. A call came in to 911 around 6.30 p.m. reporting that two men had gotten into a fight at Souther's Marsh Golf Club, according to WCVB-TV. When firefighters arrived on the scene, they discovered the victim's finger had been bitten off to his knuckle. Daddy bit me. The rest of the victim's finger was placed on ice and he was taken to a local hospital for treatment. A 47-year-old man was arrested and is facing a charge of mayhem. The report states that it's not clear if alcohol played a role in the incident. I'm
2: all jacked up on my-
4: Look, I'm no fucking detective, but I'd say chances are alcohol played a role here. I mean, can you play golf sober? Is that a thing? Nonetheless, that is some Happy Gilmore shit right there.
6: I think you've had
8: enough. No. Now you've had enough. Bitch.
4: Goddamn, a brawl and a finger bitten off at a golf course. What's next? Well, I've compiled a short list to what I believe is next. It is as follows a punch up at a poetry reading, roundhouses at a recital, a bludgeoning at a book club, jesting at a Jehovah's Witness meeting, an ocular assault at an old age home, knuckle sandwiches at a nunnery, fisticuffs in the frozen food aisle, perhaps an asthma attack at an Anne Murray concert, a castration at a cricket match, sodomy at a scrabble tournament, a caning at a cannery, disembowelment at a dog park, a stick up at a hoe bifurcation at a Boy Scout meeting, maybe a sword fight at ladies' night, leg loss at ring toss, a cat fight in Catmandu, impalement on a porno set Hit and run At the gas and go How about a beat down At basket weaving Whipping ass At a wine tasting Karate chop At the butcher shop Dust up at the antique store A beheading at a bar mitzvah A crucifixion at crossfit And finally A choke out At check in Of course That's just the short list Let's talk more rock This is Lavisher Daymare On the Casey Ferguson Show your knees freeze and your liver quiver. You are listening to The Casey Ferguson Show.
2: He's a fucking beatnik! He's got a beatnik mentality! ha ha ha! Well, maybe that's
4: what we need is a beatnik. That was Bumblefoot Higher, and before that you heard from Lavisher. The track is called Daymare. Well, well, cats. if you live anywhere near the Kingston, Ontario area where this podcast is based, you may very well be interested in knowing that the Kingston Rib Fest and Craft Beer Show is coming back to town. The festival takes place September 7th, 8th, and 9th. That's a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, of course, at the Kingston Memorial Centre. Over 50 different beers will be available for sampling, in addition to some ciders. There will also be live entertainment, food trucks, and non-alcoholic drinks. Admission is free. To sample beer, you must purchase a wristband for $6, which includes a complimentary souvenir sample glass. The wristband can be used all weekend, and each 5-ounce sample costs $2. For more information, check out KingstonRibAndBeerFest.com. I will be covering the festivals I have every year it's run, so you can look forward to some interviews from the event on future episodes of the Casey Ferguson Show. For now, I have my final interview. From last year's festival, this is my conversation with Trevor LaHue of Kingston Bay Skelton Park Brewery on the Casey Ferguson Show. Beer, 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 beer. Alright, rockin' and rollin', struttin' and strolling, ramming and jamming. Casey Ferguson from the Casey Ferguson Show, live on location here at the Kingston Rib Fest and Craft Beer Show, the fifth annual Kingston Rib Fest and Craft Beer Show. I'm joined once again, uh, I guess that was on uh, last year's podcast That's when I was covering this very event. Uh, Mr. Trevor LaHoo, is it? You got it. What's shaking, Casey? Yeah. LaHoo. <laughs> la- la- <laughs> la- la- <laughs> How
3: you doing, my man? I'm, I'm doing well, brother. How's uh, things been going since last year? Uh, things have been moving along quite lovely, actually. Uh, it's been quite an interesting. Interesting process of uh, you know starting up this business this is basically uh, the last time we talked. Uh, I was basically in startup mode, and uh, now we've really got our uh, toes dug into the sand, and we're moving forward. Uh, and uh, yeah, no, things are going really well, and uh, you know, slowly but surely, making our mark. Well, what's uh, what's this new brew that I'm drinking here all right so this beer uh, again is part of our heritage series uh, this recipe probably dates back to about 150 years ago I'm using uh, uh, a type of hop in here that was brought over by the uh, uh, the Royal Loy- loyalists uh, you know roughly uh, back in the day uh, they uh, basically were bringing over some um, some ingredients that they were planting here and using uh, locally in, in in southern Ontario uh, and it turns out that this specific hop here, uh, a farmer kind of found it in his back field uh, and there was some people who uh, tried to identify it, and they identified it coming from uh, uh, northern England. It could be a, a version of Fuggles, uh, and it's been Boggles. Yeah, that's the type of hop that we used. Yeah, but anyways, uh, it's cool. It's uh, you know we're using, uh, starting to use local ingredients, uh, and we're starting to use some uh, traditional ingredients that were used back in the day. So uh, that's all. What I'm all about is uh, you know recreating these old recipes, and uh, and that's what this one's all about too. Well, a pretty serendipitous find. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, it was a lot of fun, and. Uh, yeah, even the hop itself—they're calling it the Wild Loyalist—is the name of the hop. So as long as it's wild, baby. <laughs> <laughs> true enough. True enough. Well, um, I think I'm gonna have to give this the day in court here.
4: Oh yes, that's what I'm talking about, folks. Well, I joined Alcoholics Anonymous. I?
2: Yeah, I still drink. I use a different name. That's. All. <laughs>
4: it's good to see that you guys are getting involved in events like this
3: uh obviously uh you know you want to be one of those community breweries right yeah absolutely yeah and that's been uh, the goal so far uh is that uh, starting off the business in the way that we've done so far we've done it so that we could raise money to open our location uh so uh brewing out of toronto and distributing to kingston and doing all this stuff but having head office here in kingston uh it's uh it's been uh it's been a part of a process and part of the plan for the whole for you know the whole time and uh, uh, now we're uh, we're looking for real estate here in Kingston right now uh, and uh, a couple of promising locations uh, you know somewhere on Montreal Street we could go in there uh, one that's showing some interesting hope uh, promise right now sorry it's uh, right across from the woolen mill actually uh, there's a building that we could get there that seems quite uh, suited for a brewery so uh, anyways uh, it's uh, it's gonna be interesting to figure out where we're gonna plant this but uh, we are um, only a, a few months away so yeah when uh, when we open open up our front doors uh you'll have to come pay us a visit hey man
4: that's a deal you're <laughs> getting me out of there is going to be the
3: problem <laughs> yeah yeah yeah.
4: we'll make sure we won't kick you out too fast <laughs> there you go I'm, I'm like a stray dog you feed me once man yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> well uh so certainly if any real estate agents are listening out there if you got some property that you think uh you know a brewery would fit well into
3: maybe i'll get a hold of trevor where can people reach you online uh you can find us uh through our website so uh just do the old uh google web search uh for skeleton park brewery will be one of the first ones that comes up and you can uh, send us emails through uh through a link on the contact us page uh and we're uh, we're pretty good at answering emails and all that kind of stuff so uh send us a message get ready
6: for a billion emails here comes their friends and religious weirdos
4: part talk show part rock show you are listening to the casey ferguson show I never felt so guilty about anything Jesus, you have a charmed life. That was my conversation with Trevor Lahoo from Kingston Skeleton Park Brewery, recorded at last year's Kingston Rib Fest and Craft Beer Show. You can find Skeleton Park online at skeletonpark.ca, and once again, for more information on this year's Kingston Rib Fest and Craft Beer Show, hit kingstonribandbeerfest.com. All right, let's chill and more killin'. This is Outlaws and Moonshine on the Casey Ferguson Show. <laughs> Shake, you were listening to the Casey Ferguson Show.
6: She seems to be a very unstable person.
4: From the album House of Empty, that was Ottawa's own Cyclo 12, Call My Name, before that was Doomsday Outlaw, Bring It On Home, and kicking off that set of rafter-shaking ruckus was Outlaws and Moonshine, with Devils in the Moonshine. What's that? Mountain Dew? No, that's P my next guest on the casey ferguson show is jason smith the longest standing captain in the history of the nhl's edmonton oilers and yes that includes both wayne gretzky and mark messier jason also captained the philadelphia flyers and remains one of the most respected leaders to ever play the game in addition to edmonton and philadelphia he's also played for the new jersey devils and toronto maple leafs before finishing out his playing career with the ottawa senators during his career his gritty style of play and refusal to be pulled from games due to injury earned him the nickname gator Jason is the current head coach of the WHL's Kelowna Rockets, whose preseason has already begun. The Rockets' regular season begins Friday, September 21st. This is part two of our interview. If you missed part one, you will find it on episode 41 of this show, available at caseyfergusonshow.com. Once again, this is the second and final part of my conversation with Jason Smith on the Casey Ferguson Show. When it comes to fights in hockey, is there a lot of lingering resentments with these guys, or are you both kind of just, you know, you're doing your job and that's it for the most part? I mean... And I know there's some guys that you fought a couple of times throughout your career, but for the most part, is it just kind of a, another night at the office, or is there a lot of that harboring resentment and whatnot afterwards? For
5: me, I went about it as, as a game and doing whatever I could to help my team have success. I think uh, never had bad feelings or anger or hostility about any of the guys I fought, and there's there's a handful of them I probably had a beer with after the game if we stayed in the, in the town. So, <laughs> no, I mean, uh, no, I, I think that that's something that's a part of the culture of hockey. I, I, I fought some real good friends when I played. I fought some guys that had real good rivalries rivalries with and uh, some guys are barely even new. But, uh, you know, it was spur-of-the-moment thing that was happen when hopefully it was uh, for a positive change in the game for the team that I was playing for at that time. I mean, uh, I've never been a fan of the big pump-up Occurrence of the game, and you know, are there the spur of the moment are are some of the best battles that you see, and you know, can make the most difference, maybe in the result of a
4: game uh, by changing momentum. What about like a, a situation like with Wendell Clark? You know, you you fight this guy, and then I don't know, it was like a few months or maybe a year later, or something you're you're you know, you're playing on the same team as the guy. Is it uh, is it a little weird for a moment, or do you just kind of look at each other like, "Hey, man, good to see you again." Yeah. You know? Yeah.
5: No, I, I you know what I've never looked at it as. As, uh, holding a grudge or you not know, having fight towards anybody. I think uh, the whole time I played as a player, I played a game you play is the game you worry about, and the next day is the next day, and as you go through and, and kind of really learn as a player that you know players are, are moving pieces and basically pawns in, in, in a great game. Players can be moved at any time, and, and there's a good chance you might play with guys that you had rivalries with or you know had an altercation with, but once you move into that new locker room and become a part of a new group... Everybody in that league wants to win. And it doesn't matter whether you're on team number one or team number 31 now. When you get moved to a new team, unless you go in there and start trying to join the group, the the group's going to accept
2: you. What are you looking at, Papa?
4: I'm going to hit you with a quote here, Jason. It's from Darian Hatcher. He said of you, he brings intensity. If you watch him play through the years, the way he plays speaks for itself. He played that way in preseason. He had intensity, that meanness, that drive. So, I mean, that's pretty high praise coming from a guy like that. And, you know, it's been said the way you do one thing, is the way you do everything. So, I guess my question is, you know, and I don't want to compare myself to you, but I'm just, I'm not a guy who relaxes well. You know, I'm a very driven sort of guy. So, are you able to relax, you know, at this point? I mean, you you just went out on vacation, but are you finding, maybe now more so that you're not playing, you're able to do that a little more? Like, were you, were you always able to take a little bit of time to yourself and just chill out? Oh yeah, I
5: think, I think that was one of the things that allowed me to be the way I was when I played. I think, uh, I met my wife and we had our girls when we were both very young. And, uh you know, it kind of gave me an opportunity when I was away from the rink, I had an opportunity to, to really, you know, hang out with my wife and, and my daughters and, and just spend some time, you know, being a dad. Like, I, I very rarely napped when I was a player at home. But I put cartoons on and lay in bed with my girls and just kind of watch and lay on the couch and let them watch uh, anything from Lion King to The Little Mermaid and and all that kind of stuff and just kind of found a relaxing place and and, uh, just kind of amped myself up that way. I think the the time that I had to, to kind of relax and find that, that happy medium where you can't turn it on all the time I think uh, you can wear yourself down and you'll and, uh, not be as effective if, you're, if, if your engine's running at, at 7,000 RPMs all day long there's a time when she might shut down so if you can find that uh, you know, happy place where you can take a step back and uh, whether it's with family or I think these days it seems like some of the guys get into video games or you know surfing the internet or, or whatever you need to do I think uh, if you can find some time where you can you know turn off the game and, and uh, not overthink it and not play the game in your mind before the game needs to be played physically you're going to give yourself a real good opportunity to have success and nowadays I kind of my girls are grown up so I don't spend as much time with them but you know I have lots of time with my wife and we spend some time just movies and, and relaxing and and. Uh, in the off season if i can get some golf in uh i think uh it's kind of my relaxing state and once the season tunes up i, I try and give as much effort and energy as i can to develop in uh young players and, and uh not just good hockey players but uh people, and that's what junior hockey's about opposed to the pro level. You're, uh, the pro is your result-based, is everything about winning and, you know, success, but in junior hockey, and you want to try and develop good people that can go on and have success in
4: life, because not everybody gets to play pro hockey. Well, there's a question. Uh, I mean, I'm sure it's happened already by this point. I mean, not everybody makes it, so do you find yourself having these conversations with some of these guys? Because I'm sure they come to you, it's like, hey man, do you think I still got a shot? You know, could I go in as an undrafted pick or, or whatever? Like, What do you say to these guys when the, the show might be over?
7: Well, I think going through
5: junior hockey here, you have obviously the guys get an opportunity to go on and be able to go to Canadian university or go to Canadian college, and they can probably continue to play hockey if, if they don't have an opportunity to go play pro hockey. And nowadays, there's, there's a lot of opportunities to play professional hockey, not just in the NHL, but there's you know, the American League, the East Coast League. There's several other professional leagues in North America. Plus, there's tons of leagues in Europe at all different levels, there's lots of opportunities to play. It's just about a matter of you know making that decision whether you know you you want to continue to play the game, whether you have a passion for the game, and you know what you want to get out of it. I think sometimes the decision to keep playing is a great decision, and sometimes the decision to maybe go to school and you know get another career going is is an opportunity. But that's one great thing about junior hockey. It offers you, you you accumulate your year of school for every year you play, and you know that's a great option that you're going to be able to start a career after
4: if hockey does not work out. Fair enough. Well, you mentioned uh, watching some movies and whatnot earlier. I'm sure you watch stuff that is not The Little Mermaid as well. So, you know, I'm being that this is a music show in a lot of ways, or an entertainment show, what do you like to watch? What are some of your favorite movies, and maybe who are some of your favorite bands or albums? Oh, you know what? I think I can, I think I can watch
5: Shawshank Redemption's one of my favorites. I think I've watched that over and over and over since it came out. I think we've managed to get it on the bus a few times this
7: year
5: for, uh, <laughs> for our guys, rather than some cutting-edge uh, young hipster movie. <laughs> you know and then uh music wise i like pearl jam you know i've, I've been a, bit, I was a big fan of the tragically hip for a long time i mean uh i think those are two, probably two of my favorite favorite bands uh you know i just kind of i listen to whatever's on the house now i got my uh, between my wife and my two daughters uh they pretty much own the uh, own the
7: sound system so whatever, whatever's on <laughs> i'm not picky and uh if i don't like it i'll uh i'll
4: leave the room and uh, go talk on the phone <laughs> well, you you've fought some of the fiercest warriors in NHL history, but good luck doing battle with the wife and kids. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a losing battle to, to try, and, try
5: and get my class to go. Although, you know what? My oldest daughter, uh, she started to listen to some of my music, and she's like, now I see why you, uh, why you listen to it. So it's kind of coming
4: full circle, right? Music always does that, does it not? Absolutely. Of the, good, it's always,
5: the good music always comes
4: back, right? Well, I'd like to tell you that Andy Dufresne fought the good fight and won. I'd like to tell you that. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, no, exactly. Won the, won, won, the, won the battle, I guess, in the right way. There you go. Yeah. Well, it's a that's a good one for the road, man. Definitely, I uh, watched that a few times touring around as a musician myself. Because, hey, man, it's long. It pretty much, you know, a lot of trips. By the the time you've done that movie, you're uh, you're ready to roll wherever you're at. So. Yeah. No. It's long, it's long and it's uh, kills a couple hours.
5: Well, probably about three by the time you go through the credits and watch it and then talk about it a little bit. It's, uh,
4: it's three solid hours of entertainment. and uh, Definitely one of the favorite movies uh, watched along the way, that's for sure. Well, and as far as, you know, Stephen King adaptions and stuff, people didn't realize that he was behind that. But, uh, you know, it's, you're probably going to have a, a better time watching that on the road than, uh, you know, The Green Mile or something else that's, you know, <laughs> Stephen King's non-horror work. Because uh, That one, you might get a little sad, you know, Mr. Uh, Mr. Jangle. There. <laughs> yeah, Bojangles, yeah. yeah no, I mean, uh, I mean uh, to be honest, over the last
5: two years, I might have watched almost every every one of the movies that's won awards over the last bunch of years seems to find the way. And then there's there's obviously a couple of the uh, funny ones that make it, the comedy ones that the young guys like, right? I don't even know what half of them are. I've never even heard of half the movies, but they last for hours on. <laughs> I don't know. Pretty interesting stuff these kids
4: watch these days, that's for sure. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. Do you, like, just given that, you know, with what, what you do for a living and whatnot, I mean, do you, do you get into Slapshot and stuff like that? Is it too close to home? Or no, you know what? No, no. We've had slap shots on there, on the bus, I think. One uh, other hockey ones. I think we've had the
5: Mystery Alaska, maybe, on there. She's had Miracle for hockey movies. I'm trying to think. Might even have a one viewing of, uh, what is it, it Youngblood?
4: Blood, oh yeah, right? yeah! With Rob Lowe and Patrick Swayze. Rob
5: Lowe, yeah, yeah. Rob Lowe and Patrick Swayze. Yeah, I think that got one viewing in the last two years. So I think all the hockey movies have made it true, and then you get the new era ones with the Goon and.
4: And, uh, well, Happy Gilmore's got to be in there somewhere. <laughs> Happy Gilmore's been on, yeah. Happy Gilmore. And,
5: uh, you know, I mean, with all the time on the box, we spend, we spend some pretty serious quality hours. We get to, get to watch a lot. I mean, the coaches are
4: never in charge of what gets put on, but we do have a little bit of say. Time for Word Association. First one is a Kingston boy, where I'm from, Kirk Muller. Classy guy. Very good teammate. Somebody that do
5: anything for his teammates to help them have success.
4: Next one, Matt Sundin. Very
5: elite player. I think he's probably underrated for the results he got playing with some of the teams he played with. And uh, very respected amongst the players he played against.
4: I would have to agree with that. Steve Sullivan. Very good guy. Very competitive. Extremely
5: quick. Really enjoyed my time as a teammate with
4: him. Of course, I have to ask you about Wendell Clark. Ultimate competitor.
5: Somebody that uh, all players thoroughly enjoyed watching if they were younger than him and probably hated to compete against him.
4: Ryan Smith.
5: Good teammate. Played a lot of years with him. Very good person. Great family.
4: Played with a wooden blade for a long time. (laughs) Felix Potvin. Very good person became really good friends with him in Toronto thought that he got the short
5: end of the stick in Toronto when things went sideways there for him
4: I agree with you he uh Felix was my guy man I loved myself the cat
5: yeah no he's a really good person and he was really good goalie and I think he proved it after he left Toronto that he's still very capable of playing in the league damn it yeah hell yeah hell yeah hell yeah hell yeah hell
4: yeah hell yeah hell yeah Well, here's a guy you had a little bit of a melee with, uh, Brendan Shanahan. Very good player, very intelligent on the ice, find open ice, play the game a lot of different ways. You could play it with physical side, you could play it with the skill side, and was was smart enough to contribute and be a real good player for a long time. Well, here's a guy you can't get much more physical than this cat, Ty Domi. Ultimate teammate, somebody that cared
5: about his... uh, teammates and would protect them and give uh, whatever he could within his skill set and his ability to try to allow your team to have success.
4: Matthew Schneider.
5: Very skilled puck-moving defenseman, kind of ahead of his a little bit ahead of his time in, in the way the game has changed. I think uh, somebody that was very underrated for, for what he brought to the game and his ability to move the puck, shoot the puck, control collar play, and uh, just a smart player.
4: Alan McCauley with
5: him from the New Jersey Devils to Toronto. Career obviously ended up short due to injury, but uh, was a really good player. Quality person, having success uh, staying in the game by being a part of it in a different way and uh,
4: would have really liked to see him play longer if he uh, didn't uh, end up not playing due to injury. Well, here's another guy who got uh, kind of cut short with, with an injury and you played together on Team Canada, Paul Korea. Elite
5: talent, fast, smart, could
4: understand the game,
5: make adjustments in the game as quick as anybody really would have been uh neat to see how well and how much success he had uh if he was able to continue playing very intelligent smart hockey player that uh too bad uh, career was cut
4: short all right well i'll hit you with just a quick couple more here and uh i'll let you get back to your day chris pronger because he was also on that team canada with you he was the most efficient
5: smart detailed player that i was lucky enough to play with in the world juniors as well as One year there in Edmonton, for a player that could play 30-plus minutes a night, he knew the game, could see the game, could play it uh, any way that the game needed to be played, whether it was physical, whether it was skilled, he he could do it all. And uh, he's uh, got a great passion for the game, and uh, it's good to see him back in the game, working in Florida, part of their management team.
4: Now, (laughs) here's a guy you had an absolute war with, Mark Tenorti. Very
5: good player. Don't know him personally. Uh, everything I knew about him as a as somebody that competed against him is he was an ultimate teammate, very competitive guy, would leave it all on the table every game that he played, he did whatever it took for his team to have success. He would put it out there. Was somebody that was respected by every player that he played against.
4: Last one, Keith Kachuk. Uh, Walt Kachuk, very
5: gifted offensive talent, uh, very big man. Who was strong, physical, and could also skate. I think, uh, in, uh at that time in, in the league, he would have been one of your ultimate power forwards. He had great, great nets, great stick, and could play the game. His physical, uh, needed to be played and
7: was a
4: very good teammate. You know it, mister. Well, listen, Jason, you're the uh, the first hockey players had the balls to come on the Casey Ferguson show, and uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today, and you've, you've been so generous with your time. So I, I hope you'll come back, man. This was uh, It was a lot of fun talking to you, and I hope we can do it again down the road. For sure. No, it was,
5: all, it was great. Uh, it was perfect.
4: Part talk show, part rock show. You are listening to the Casey Ferguson Show. If this
5: gets out, the next words you say will be muffled by your own butt.
4: That was the second and final part of my conversation with former NHL captain and current head coach of the Kelowna Rockets, Jason Smith. The Rockets' first preseason game is August 31st, and their 2018 regular season begins Friday, September 21st. Season tickets are on sale now. For a full schedule and all things Rockets, head to KelownaRockets.com. This next song comes courtesy of Gannon Dantina duo. The story behind the song, as I understand it, is this. The duo, like many artists, were having some trouble getting the local commercial stations to play their songs on the radio. They figured, since these corporate cock chuggers won't play the material they work so hard on, that they'd send them a song they knew these weak-kneed wholesale whores definitely wouldn't play. But I would. So, on special dedication to the ineffectual idiots running some of these pathetic excuses for radio stations, here's a message from the Dantina duo on the Casey Ferguson Show.
8: You're tuned to Radio 102.222 with your host Dick McSlongoski. That's we are the station that plays the craziest crap in the nation. And from 1985, Dan and the Foreign Agents with their one-hit wonder, Dancing in America. All right, folks. We've got some special guests in our studio today. We have Tina and Dan from the Dan Tina Duo. How are you guys doing? Slick, great to have you back. Anyway, you guys got a brand new track. We're going to spin it today. We're not going to reveal the name, man. We're just going to let it slip. We're going to uh, slide. We're going to rock and roll like we roll always do. At the end, you guys call in and let us know what you think of this song. We'll let you interview the band. This time, it's called Concept. Anyways, without wasting any more time, let's get this thing on the airwaves. The Dan-Tina duo. (laughs)
2: chit, chit.
4: more of the Casey Ferguson Show, you can download all episodes of the show at caseyfergusonshow.com. Plus, bonus content, prize giveaways, polls, and much more, only at caseyfergusonshow.com. One more time for the heart of hearing, that's caseyfergusonshow.com. Taron Microphone Taron, you are listening to the Casey Ferguson Show.
2: You don't suppose this is like an acid flashback or anything, do you?
4: I never took acid.
2: Well, maybe it will someday. It's like a flash forward.
4: From the EJ album, that was Eric Johnson with his rendition of the Simon and Garfunkel classic Mrs. Robinson, and before that was Ganonokwe's own Dantina Duo with a classic of their own. Shit your pants. Don't mind if I do.
1: Did you just cut the cheese? <laughs> Sounded like it came from outside. What are you, some kind of... But ventriloquist?
2: Yeah. <laughs> that would be cool.
4: <laughs> well, Wildcats, I think it's time for me to pull the pen and crack a couple Red Fox ales, courtesy of McKinnon Brothers Brewing, the official beer of the Casey Ferguson Show. Beer! How did you know? The next episode of this show is going to be my annual Halloween special, which I always look very much forward to, so look for that in early October along with a brand new edition of The Haunted House of Rock.
2: Can I get a fucking amen?
4: Yes, you heard it here first. I'm returning to the airwaves at 92.1 FM for one episode only, so keep an eye out for that as well. With any luck, Doug McFly will join me for at least one of those shows. I guess we'll have to see how therapy goes. Doug ate our last therapist, so it's been kind of hard to find a new one. Word of a man-eating fly in his jilted spaz of a former roommate tends to travel. So, we'll see how that shakes out. I'd like to thank my guests, Michael Beinhorn and Jason Smith. Thank you to the bands and the reps for sending me some kick-ass tracks. Thank you to my sponsors, and of course, thank you for listening. Cobble will play us out with a tune called On Your Own. Remember, you can preach a better sermon with your life than with your lips. Until next time, this is Casey Ferguson, over and out.
2: silence just say what you mean some words unspoken i just fall in between and now that you leave it well it's calling me home You say that's a feeling that nobody knows. I know you've got a reason that it's better off gone. Someday you'll need it when it matters the more.